From KCRW, this is Nocturne. Hey, it's Vanessa. Please be advised that this episode has some curse words and offensive language and a little bit of violence. It's not hard to scare somebody in an office in the middle of the day when they have no idea what's coming. Yeah, that's easy. Take somebody and let them know that they're about to walk into a haunted attraction. They have every emotional defense up. They are so hard to scare because they know what's coming. They know you're about to do it. So now try to scare somebody who knows what's about to happen and give that a shot. That requires skill. It requires work. It requires patience. It requires some luck. You not only scare one person, when you do it right, you get the entire group. You get the big dude at the front of the group, they will jump backwards and take the rest of the group down with them. I've done that. I've seen it happen multiple times. I've seen six foot two men scream, jump backwards, throw their arms out and take the rest of their family right down with them, right to the ground. I've seen people run themselves backwards into a corner with a look like they are an animal that is just about to get snared. And when you back off and give them that moment, they will take off and leave the rest of their family behind. Repeatedly, I've seen boyfriends with tiny little girlfriends coming through our haunt and swing that girlfriend around like she's a human shield because she is in that moment for that guy who is saving himself. And that moment of just raw emotion is amazing. The most gratifying scares are the ones where I know that they forgot where they were. They weren't in a haunted attraction at that moment. And you can feel it. You can feel that you shared this moment with that person. When I scare and I pull it off and I know it worked, one, I can't show it because that would be breaking character. I can't go, oh, I got you because that's not what the zombie would do. That's not you know what the werewolf would do. But inside, it's this burst of, oh my God, that worked. It, it, deep inside of me, it's yes. I got them. And that, yes, when you get somebody, it's it's such a satisfying moment to know that you broke through their defenses and you're giving them something which is a moment of fear, a shock, an adrenaline rush. You're giving them all of this and it's just part of an amazing night. That's what I love. More from Nocturne in a moment. I'm Warren Alney. On To The Point, if America ever used its thousands of nuclear weapons, it would be suicidal. In a nuclear war, there could be no winners. Everybody is a loser. All of civilization is at stake. We've known that for 75 years, but our weapons of mass destruction are still on hair-trigger alert, and just one man, President Trump, has the power to push the button. Is it finally time to make the world safer? On our To The Point podcast...
You're listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. You're not supposed to like a monster. You're not supposed to like something that's terrible. That's what society tells you. But that's what they're coming back for. And if I create a really interesting monster, they love it. And they tell me, they clap. And they'll hear them say, that's the best looking thing I've seen all night. Or they'll say, that's the first scare that I got all night. And they love that. So the first one I ever played, oh, so bad. My very first character was a mad scientist and it was just atrociously bad because I had no idea what I was doing. I was the Axeman of New Orleans one night. I was a pirate. Don't touch the gold. I I stole it fair and square. It's mine. My name is Campbell Harmon. Uh, First name is Campbell, last name is Harmon. A lot of people get confused. I'm 42. By day, Cam, as he likes to be called, works in communications for a large Northeastern university. By night... I am what's known as a haunter, and I work in the haunt attraction industry, what most people would call a haunted house. Specifically, I'm a volunteer haunter. So our haunted attraction is the Wallingford Trail of Terror. There are a lot of Trail of Terrors out there, but we're in Wallingford, Connecticut, so we always tag on Wallingford Trail of Terror. You actually walk through our haunt, and we get to jump out and scare you. And so uh, in that, I'm an actor, so I'm one of the monsters who scares you. I'm also a coach for our other actors, and then I also do uh, special effects makeup and costume building as well, because in a volunteer haunt, you wear a lot of hats, and you have to do a lot of things to keep the thing going year to year. Being a haunter, doing what I do, I constantly think about it. It's always on my mind of how to do a better scare, how to do a better character, and I'm generally thinking about it the way an actor would think about these things. I was a stone gargoyle for two years, which was the first time I made my own costumes. And the first year it was just me. And then the second year I uh, made a second costume and my partner who I eventually married was my second gargoyle. And we worked closely doing what I call as a, a tag team scare. I did Willy Wonka. That was a scary movie if you think about it carefully. I was doing a dentist, an evil dentist, and I had a great actor being my victim in the scene, and he was just doing this really wonderful scream when I was supposed to be like ripping teeth out. I did Edgar Allan Poe. I'm trying to remember my lines. My name is Edgar Allan Poe. Inside are some of my most famous stories and poems. If you pay close attention, you might be able to pick some out. If you don't, they might pick you out. After that, I got a little bored being the talkie actor, and so that's when I started creating um, non-talking scares just to push myself and do something different and try to learn how to do timing and do better pop-out timing and do something more physical. I was a zombie one year, which was uh, actually a zombie for two years. That was incredibly fun because our cemetery was really well-built at that time. It kind of rotted. And I got some just amazing scares in that that I still think about today. Cam went through the Trail of Terror with a friend when he was in his late 20s. It was only the second time he'd gone through a haunt, and he loved it. He volunteered to be a monster immediately. He didn't have any previous acting experience. I definitely would have been a theater geek in high school, but we didn't have theater in my high school, so I never really had the opportunity to do that. Uh, But I did do a whole bunch of, of church plays that I was forced into by my parents growing up, and those were like a requirement. And so I've sort of self taught uh, how to do acting. Cam describes haunting attractions as a unique art form combining theater, art installation, film production, 
improv, and stand-up comedy. He calls it immersive horror theater. This is really unique. There's something going on here that you don't get anywhere else. You don't get 2,000 people coming through just to see a play. This is specific. Haunt actors often have lines they memorize, but they also need to be able to think on their feet and adjust to the audience. It's an immersive theater. You can do your lines, but those guests are going to talk right back to you because you're not up on a stage separated from them the way a theater works. You're right down on the ground with them face to face, and they will talk back to you, and they will tell you what they think about how good of a job you're doing or if they think you're scary or not, and you have to be able to roll with it. The backdrop for all this haunting is a dark woods in a small New England town. Elaborate sets, music, and sound effects, and even manufactured smells all combine to create an intensely spooky atmosphere. The woods themselves bring in this wonderful feeling of being very isolated, not being near civilization. And then to create the fantasy world that we try to create, a very dark fantasy world, we build up sections of it. So there are sort of like freestanding rooms that you would walk through. We have about 30 different scenes, and every scene is its own little world. And so for me, I've been there long enough to be responsible for my own scene as a scene supervisor. With around 100 actors and an additional 80 to 100 support staff, the Wallingford Trail of Terror is intent on scaring the bejesus out of you. There's meticulous blocking, carefully placed lights, and timed jump scares, all of which reset with each group that comes through. The monsters and sets come together with the help of a terrifying soundscape straight out of your nightmares. As you go through scene to scene, they will have specific, normally ambient soundtracks or specific sounds. For the clown area, the circus area, and again, a requirement, everyone has to have clowns because they're scary. You have the calliope playing, you have the circus noises. We'll throw in creaking noises of the circus equipment or the fairground equipment. From there, you can walk into the cemetery, and now it's changed into crickets and crows and very loud wind noises to help cover up from the spillover from the other sounds. You can have everything from low groans, if it's supposed to be like a torture scene with screaming in the background, just enough to fill in when the actors aren't screaming or when the guests aren't screaming. You can hear the chainsaws from all over, and we do use real chainsaws with the chain removed. But when it's chasing after you at a high speed in the middle of the night, you don't really think that's a chainsaw that has the chain removed. You're really thinking, there's a chainsaw coming at me at a high speed, and I probably should move forward. So yeah, and you can smell the gas of the chainsaws, and that's just one of the most amazing things. And our particular haunt has a special agreement with the town that one of our actors actually has a shotgun that shoots blanks. And so every so often you get a very loud shotgun noise uh, because there's special blanks that do extra loud sounds. The Trail of Terror is a serious production. And while the actual haunt takes place from 7 until around 1 a.m. on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights in October, after the last guests leave, Cam is still working. And as a supervisor, I have to go back to my scene, check everything in the scene, make sure nothing's been damaged. If it has been damaged, either fix it myself or find someone who can fix it. Take everything home. Take all my uh, makeup equipment home. I spend another 
hour or so at my house just cleaning up my makeup supplies to get them ready for the next night, trying to eat some food along the way, take my dog for a walk, and then get in bed. Somewhere around from 3 a.m. to 4 a.m., and then dragging out of bed as early as I can the next morning, which is noon, to try to try and get back out and get everything reset and get ready to go because obviously for a live production, everything has to be set up as early as possible and it gets very exhausting in October. Being outdoors, the other thing is it's very cold and in New England, the weather constantly changes. One year we had a heat wave come through in mid-October and you're there for the entire night. So you're working continuously, physically continuously for hours on end. We've had people pass out from the heat. We've had actors that we've sent to the emergency room several times over the last few years with the beginning stages of hypothermia. Small injuries are fairly common, with occasional larger ones, like the time an actor broke his nose due to a timing issue with another actor and a large prop. I do believe a guest group actually saw that happen, but as we've learned and I've learned, guests assume that nothing's real, uh, which, is, which is good. If they've assumed that nothing's real, that means we did our job correctly. Success is a simple formula for a monster in a haunted house. It's not me, Dad! It's not me! It's the scream and then the laugh. The immediate reaction you can't control is the scream. And the laugh is you laughing at yourself. So that's great. That's exactly what we want. And when, when everything's going great, that's it. The dark side of that, I think this is where a lot of our injuries happen from guests, is that... When you create that fantasy world that's completely believable, then we're part of the fantasy. We we actors, we monsters. And so we're not people at that point. And so if someone wants to show how brave they are or just entertain their group because they're being jerks about it or they're a little bit drunk and they just want to show just how funny they can be and they take a swing at us, which happens somewhat frequently – it doesn't matter to them. It, it, it's not like, to us, it's like we're working in a service industry. We're here to entertain you. You paid to come in. If you're walking into the movie theater and somebody's taking your tickets, you don't take a swing at them. You paid for us to do this. And why are you causing us this sort of problem? But from their point of view, it's all fantasy. So it doesn't matter if you punch Mickey Mouse in the nose. It's just Mickey. He's a cartoon. A lot of the time, it's an honest reaction. They were scared. They had an honest reaction. I've been shoved a bunch of times. I've been grabbed a bunch of times by someone honestly reacting in the moment. And I know when that happens because they immediately apologize. They swipe at you or they grab you and they say, oh, I'm so sorry. I know I shouldn't do that. And, and I'm fine with that. And I'll just give them a nod and that's it. I try not to break character. But I, they were nice. You know, they apologize. But it's usually the drunk ones. So usually the drunk ones are the ones throwing insults at us. It's usually the drunk ones, unless it's the children. So the kids that come through, you'll see the kids that literally can still have their little softball outfits on, probably just piled out of the minivan. Oh my God, you think that children don't know curse words. They know every curse word. Those kids will just insult you. Faggot. Fag, they'll go into the racial areas, which I'm not going to go into. If you're a little overweight, you better be expecting the fat stuff coming at you, the fat jokes and the fat insults. Uh, you're not scary. You suck. You stink. Stuff like that. Moving on into the high schoolers, they get more creative. And it's suck my dick. I fucked your mother. Why don't you go fuck your mother? If you can put through 2,000 people a night, 
20 of those are going to be a serious problem and we know how to handle them. But as somebody who's really problematic, who is drunk and physically causing a problem, which is throwing punches, something like that, we call security immediately. Security will come, track them down and remove them. And I've had people removed before. The worst attack I've ever had personally was when I was the stone gargoyle, I was on my perch and another adult couple came through. This was just a man and a woman. They were in their, I guess, in their late 30s, as best I could tell in the dark and in my mask. And they were just walking through fairly slowly. And this is an adult couple. This is not college kids. This is not high school kids. Just as they got past me, just about to turn into the next scene, the guy reached back, reached up and grabbed the top of my head. He was grabbing the horn on my mask and yanked as hard as he possibly could. And I think he thought he was grabbing a prop and he was going to break the prop and that was going to be his little fun for the night. He actually was grabbing me, an actor in a mask that I made, and I was particularly possessive of my work. So he grabbed my horn, yanked me off my perch, which would have toppled me onto my face, but I, I was able to save myself by grabbing his wrist and we both went down at the same time. And the gloves that I was wearing in that costume were actually built off of hockey gloves, so these big thick gloves. And he came up swinging and I was still holding his wrist just out of my reaction and he started pummeling me in my face, direct blows to my head as hard as he possibly could. This is an adult man who paid to come through and I was yelling at him to stop. His girlfriend, wife, guest that he came through with was yelling at him to stop too and he was just wailing on me. And every time I was turning my head to yell for security, he was hitting me more in the back of the head. But thankfully my my costume was built on very thick foam and covered in a special paint that gave it kind of a crust to it. So it was kind of like he was hitting a mattress, <laughs> thankfully for me. And uh, security showed up, which was this uh, well over six feet tall, huge guy. He just comes bounding up because what's the problem? And I just said, this guy needs to leave now. I was not particularly hurt, even though he was re really hitting as hard as he could. It was because I was covered in foam. Since I wasn't hurt, I got some water, I calmed down, got my bearings, stopped shaking because I was frightened by what happened, and got back up on my perch and I kept entertaining for the rest of the night. Cam is clearly devoted to haunting, even in the face of hard work and some physical danger. His dedication is palpable, as is his passion for acting and the thrill of making people scream and then laugh. But there's also an entirely different facet to Cam's love of this world of jump scares and monsters. So I grew up in Appalachia in eastern Kentucky, right in the middle of coal country. There was just a group of houses there and there was nothing else around. It wasn't like in a little town. It's very hard to explain this for people who grow up in towns. Uh, if you're from a rural area, you totally get this. You totally understand. It's just a group of houses next to a, a four-lane highway traveled by coal trucks. And my uncles, some of them were miners for as long as that lasted. All of them had to get other jobs eventually. All of my family members live there and still live there. Everyone lives within probably a 20-mile radius, and then I could easily capture the rest of the extended family within a 30-mile radius. No one leaves. It's incredibly rare for you to leave. Cam grew up in Floyd County, Kentucky, an area where you could find a different small church every few miles. 
I think this is so hard to understand if you're not from from the area. Just understanding what kind of part religion plays in the society and in just woven into the fabric of day to day life. It, it, <laughs> I live in, in in New England now, and you would never ask somebody what their religion is unless you got to know them really well. Or uh, back home, it's just what church did you go to, and it's not are you religious <laughs> or do you go to church? The assumption is, of course you go to church. And so one way that you get to know someone is what church do you go to? And that's going to give you what flavor of Baptist you are because the majority of them are Baptist. I grew up in a very religious family and my grandfather was a Baptist minister and I grew up in the church. Tom's Creek Free Will Baptist Church. This is an evangelical, a fundamentalist Baptist church. And that means that we took the King James Version of the Bible, literally true. And if the King James Version was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. And so there was no understanding of any sort of different viewpoint. Uh, we knew that Catholics existed, but we didn't trust that. I went to church three times a week, required. I only missed if I was extremely sick. And growing up, I didn't know anything about homosexuality. It wasn't, I didn't know what that was. We didn't have the internet. Uh, there were no characters on TV or movies that I knew anything about. I knew that homosexuality existed in some way because it would be mentioned uh, in covering Sodom and Gomorrah as part of the sins in the Bible. But as a child, I, I didn't know what that meant. It was just mentioned and everybody seemed to get it. It was definitely not accepted in any way, shape, or form, and definitely viewed as a serious problem. I would put it seriously on the level of murder, and that's not an exaggeration in any way, shape, or form. This wasn't particularly troubling for Cam when he was very young, but as time went on, the teachings got confusing. Heterosexuals have all these little plans laid out to them that they don't even realize is, is like an example for their life. They just understand it that that's what culture is. I didn't know. I, I knew something seemed different, but I was nerdy too. And I guess nerds always feel different no matter what. And somewhere around eighth grade going into high school was when I think I put it together and I was able to say in the back of my head, not in the front of my head, in the back of my head, somewhere it was connecting that this thing that I've heard talked about of homosexuality is me. That connection somewhere matched. And that meant that everything I heard in church was me too. And what I'd heard my grandfather preach for years, and he, not like he intended to preach it to me or anything. I mean, of course you don't have gay people in the church. Homosexuals would never come into a Christian church, any, any more so than some Satan worshiper would come into a Christian church. And as evangelicals still preach today, it is an abomination in the sight of the Lord. And everyone nodded, yes, of course, homosexuals are abominations. That's what it is. And abomination is a very big term to drop on a kid. It has a lot of syllables in it. It sounds awful, even if you don't know what it means. You know it's bad. You know abomination is a bad thing. It is worse than anything you've heard. Because murder makes sense. You get don't kill and don't murder. Don't steal. That makes you a thief. Don't rob. That makes you a robber. Don't lie. That makes you a liar. You get all those things. That makes sense. Abomination is a monster. It doesn't even sound human. Somewhere around my junior or senior year in high school, I just said, I, I know what this is. I know that I'm gay. It was awful. It was just awful. And I just wanted to die when I made that connection because I just knew how bad that was. And so I prayed and I prayed quietly to myself, not to my parents, because it's not like you're going to tell your parents this horrible thing's happening. I read through the entire Bible, front to back, 
every single page of the King James Bible, and that didn't seem to help. And I just prayed for God to change me, and it just wouldn't happen. And I didn't understand why God wasn't listening to prayers the way I was always told. You know, the truth was I was just beating myself up with all the tools that my church and society and family had given me to beat myself up with. And I finally broke, late in my junior year in college, I just, I, I broke down. I'd gotten extremely sick with what may have been a stress-related disorder that, that knocked me out with horrendous, I'd lost weight, I had horrible sores in my mouth from stress. It, it, it was the most painful, horrible experience I've ever had. I did slide into depression. I know it was actually clinical depression. There was one night where I was so pissed off at God. I was so angry. And I was just like, why? Everything I've been told is that you did this. Like, you made me. And I don't know why you would make me this way because I know I didn't choose it. And I was just like punching this pillow and throwing it across the room. And I was just screaming. And I finally just exhausted myself and collapsed. I collapsed on the floor and I was like, I was just so tired. And I was just thinking about it. I was like, I'm just tired of all of this. This sucks. And I kind of had this moment of peace and of clarity. And it was just this feeling of, I don't have to hate myself anymore for this. This is not required of me. None of this is required that I have to do this. I can just stop. I'm going to die otherwise. And I did. And I just said, I can stop. And whether this means leaving the church or leaving my family or anything else, I just don't have to hate myself at this point from any point forward. And then that slow slide down turned into a slow slide up. And it wasn't instant. It wasn't completely okay. It was just slowly building up the feeling that I'm not that. I'm whoever I want to be. It was not overnight. It slowly got better. And going on my first date, finding my first boyfriend, having my first breakup, to get all those emotions that had been pent up all through high school that I never got out. Then I came out to a friend. And then everything turned around. And, and everything, from my point of view, everything got better. And I was like, oh, I get to be me. I get to be myself. And I felt like I'd lost years of dating and of going out and having a good time and being with people that you're interested in and, and sharing those times together. I didn't have any of that. It was just my life really didn't start until my 20s, until my late 20s. I thought I was going to come out to my parents. My plan was, I'll come out to them. We'll go through some tough times together, and and then we'll we'll make it through. And like other coming out stories I had heard, that is not the case. It did not go well. It did not go well for my parents. I never came out to anyone else in my family other than my parents. Cam's parents told him they were going to pray and that he would get better. When he asked them to have dinner with him and his boyfriend at the time, the answer was an unequivocal no. And dad took me aside and said, you have to understand, it would be like we're driving you to a bank robbery where you're going to rob a bank. And I, that may sound like that makes no sense at all. It makes sense from our point of view, which is like, he would be enabling me to do something terrible. And, and he was being kind about it. That's actually him being very kind about it. The worst thing my mom ever said to me was, she had a health scare when I was in college shortly after I came out. And uh, it, it was a pretty bad one. She thought, we thought that she had cancer. 
And, and she said, I would rather be dead from cancer than see my only son grow up gay. God bless them. Uh, so many other kids that come out, especially with religious families, can be kicked out the door and completely cut off from all contact. But my parents are still, they're very good people. They're very caring people. I've always had hope that somewhere they're going to come around, but we're sort of, at this point, I've just settled into a detente for the last couple of, like, two decades, which is we don't talk about my personal life. Sadly, Cam's story about his parents not accepting that he's gay is not an uncommon one. They clearly loved him, but they couldn't get past the feeling that a core part of who he is makes him equivalent to a criminal or a monster. And while Cam internalized those feelings at first, he gradually came out the other side and accepted who he was. And here's where Cam's story is different than many of the ones we've heard before. Cam not only owned his identity and sexuality and released the self-hate that gripped him for years, he not only joyfully participated in the culture of gay pride, he went further than this. Through his work at the Trail of Terror, Cam has found a way to transform and embrace his inner monster. He's become a monster in his own movie, in a nighttime world that he constructs. I want to say something sort of flippant, which is... If you're going to call me a monster, then damn you, I'm going to be a monster. But in the way that I see being a monster, it's not being something terrible. Monster has, the just like being a freak, being something else, being an abomination, there's a horrible judgment all involved in that. And that's not the judgment that I'm going for. That's not the feeling that I, I want to have. It's a feeling of joy of doing something so bizarre and so specific and so weird and yet so fun all at the same time, that's the life I could have had. That's where I should have been when I was a kid growing up, which is not being told to not be yourself, not being put upon and not being tortured emotionally and for God knows for some kids physically too, and electroshock therapy for some kids and everything else or anybody who's outside of the mainstream, who's not allowed to be who they are, transgendered, that's the way that these kids are being treated. That's the way that I was treated. I should have been allowed to do this, which is be joyful, have an amazing time being who I am. And if being who I am is weird and strange and freaky and monstrous and totally different, great. In the consistent tropes of horror movies, Cam found a worldview that matched up with how he'd always felt. The heroes were straight white men protecting straight white women from the monstrous other. In killing the evil monster, the hero reset the status quo. And when you're not part of the status quo, whether you're gay or a person of color or anything on the outside of that, you know you're the monster. You know that the straight heterosexual white dude who is representing the government is not coming to save you. It's coming to save the white woman. They take them back to have heterosexual relationships and babies and keep that nuclear 50s family going. Cam realized that as he watched these movies, he was seeing the monsters as the heroes. He knew that they were doing terrible things, but they were just so much more interesting than the other characters. And that's who I identified with, not the strong-jawed hero, but the monster who is being attacked for no other reason than they're born that way. That's who they are. If you watch horror movies, 
for the majority of the movie, the monster is winning. Jason wins, Freddy wins, the alien is totally winning. The monster is generally winning for the majority of the movie and they're powerful and they exist in the dark. They're winning. They're winning over the status quo. And who are they going after? They're going after the college kids who are going to go neck in the woods instead of doing their damn jobs at the summer camp. They're going after the kids who are too stupid to not run upstairs or to go out and, and let's go split up and investigate. Those are the ones that they're picking off. And they get defeated at the end and that's fine. But I was the one rooting for the monster and I think horror fans end up rooting for the monsters more than anything else because they're more fun and they're more interesting and they're colorful and they're bizarre and they're strong and powerful. And now I get to be that. Not only was I told that that's what I was and I don't feel that way anymore as a human being, but I know where the fun is and the fun is being the monster. And who comes through my seed? I get college kids on dates. The ones who would split up and make the worst possible decision in any horror movie are the ones coming through my scene. And they're in my world now. And I control every single aspect of that world. And that's where I rule. And I think that's one of the best feelings in the world is to be able to turn the tables on someone else and have them have a little moment of feeling kind of like I did. But instead of feeling terrible at the end of it, they feel entertained and they had a good time and they laugh. They scream and then they laugh and they actually enjoy it and they keep coming back over and over again. I took something that was horrible and I made it entertaining, just like a director in Hollywood or a horror writer can do the same thing. It takes something that feels terrible, turn it into a metaphor, and make it an entertainment. Being a haunter, being in the haunt world, being in a haunted attraction, we value the strange and unusual. We value being outside of the mainstream, not somebody who is the hero of the film because we got no place for you. There's no place for heroes with us. It's all villains. Why do I do this? You can act anywhere. I could go to a local theater and go act. That's, that's fine. I can go make costumes somewhere else. But I was always told I was a monster. Somehow that fit. And being a monster is so freeing and it's so powerful. The work I do goes year-round. As soon as we're finished, when we close at the end of October, there's about a week where I get to physically recover, and then it's immediately planning for the next October. So my October never ends. I live in an endless October. And when I've not done it for a while, when I've not been in my scene, I've not been able to scare and do my thing, I really miss it. And I'll watch our videos of seeing people being scared or I'll listen to some scary music or something like that. And, and it just feels so energetic and feels so fun and so empowering to know that that's my world and I really want it back. In the dark, in a mask, in a heavy costume, this is where the fun is for me. Being a monster, being a haunter, being in the dark and scaring other people in a very creative and strange way, it is transforming what it does mean to be a monster because it's taking away their version of being a monster and saying, no, 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 this is my version of being a monster and it's a lot more fun than your version. And it's the best time I've ever had in my life. Now, so the jelly between your toes, and you're rolling, 
Because in your stomach and out your eyes, the stomach turns a slimy green and pulls out the quipping cream. I spread it on a slice of bread and that's what I eat when you are dead. There's a sweet postscript to this story. I checked back in with Cam a couple of weeks before releasing this episode to clarify a detail. He told me that just a few weeks earlier, out of the blue, he got a call from his dad. His dad asked if he and his partner had gotten married. Cam was stunned because he'd never told any of his family. He said yes, they had gotten married. His dad was quiet for a second, and then he said, Tell him, welcome to the family. You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. Nocturne is distributed by KCRW and also receives support from KCRW's Independent Producer Project, which is managed by Kristen Lepore. Thank you to Nick White. Thanks to the folks at the Wallingford Trail of Terror for recordings of The Haunt. Go to nocturnepodcast.org for more information, to see all the beautiful original art that Robin Galante creates for the show, and to check out our merchandise. Till next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>